Good evening, Crossroads. Wow, that scares the sound guy, too, when I don't have it on, and then he adjusts, and then I turn it on. Hey, it is great to be here with you. You know, um, of course, me being here and Pastor Dave not being here was planned. That's why Dave recorded the message. But I, I sort of wanted, for those of you that are March Madness fans, to say, Dave really was going to be here, but after Maryland lost in the last second and a half, he couldn't bring himself to be here. So that is being broadcast right now, and we do love Pastor Dave, right? Amen. Hey, uh, most of you know I'm Wendell Anderson, one of the teaching pastors uh, here at Crossroads, and I'm excited to be here with you. We are continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount. We will be continuing that for a few more weeks as well. This weekend, we are actually in Matthew 6, and we'll be uh, beginning with verse 19 through verse 34. Uh, that'll be on page 811 on the Bibles that are provided in the chairbacks. So I encourage you to uh, turn in your Bible or in your electronic devices or to grab one of the Bibles out of the seat back. If you've been here before, you've heard us say that if you don't have a Bible at home, we encourage you to take one of those Bibles from the seat back home with you so that you will have a Bible in your home that you can, in fact, read and continue to read. Well, in this passage of Scripture, there's some 16 verses we're going to look at from verses 19 through 34. There are actually two major uh, subtitles or headings that we're going to look at. And if you uh, uh, look in your, again, in your most Bibles, you'll see those two uh, subdivisions. The, the first one says treasures in heaven or store up treasures in heaven. And the second part of the Scripture is titled uh, do not be anxious or do not worry. And I believe that as we look through this, we'll see this overarching theme of the entire pa passage that will uh, help us see where is our heart. And that's what I've titled this talk, is where is our heart. So what I want to do is I'm going to read through this entire uh, passage, these 16 verses, and I'm going to ask you folks to read two specific verses along with me, and I'll tell you which those verses are. So, so follow along as I begin in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be, will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Now read this next one together with me in verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And I'll continue. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food or your body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, be, by being anxious can add a single hour to his life span of life. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I tell you, even Solomon, 
in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, we uh, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And now read with me in verse 33. But seek first his kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And then our passage today concludes in verse 34, which says, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So Jesus' teaching throughout this entire Sermon on the Mount is directed at his followers. There were hundreds, maybe even thousands, that were surrounding him as he was delivering this message, and it was specifically those, those followers, just as it is today. It was directed toward the followers at that time, and it's directed to Christ's followers today as well. And, and as we've been working through this uh, Sermon on the Mount, we've seen that, that much of it is fairly clear when we look at the text. Not all of it, but most of it's fairly clear to see and understand, but challenging for us to apply. Now, if we zoom out to like a 30,000-foot view and look down at this portion of Scripture, I do believe that we'll see as we work our way through this that the topic is primarily focusing in on where is our heart and Jesus uses the topic of money to help each of us identify and pinpoint where our heart is at. As we dive in, we'll see that he uses money and see how money directs our heart. We'll see how money affects our spiritual vision. We'll see how money wants to be our master, and we'll see how money can be a source of anxiety and worry for all of us. Now I realize that when pastor starts talking about money, you kind of shift in your seats and make sure your wallet and purse are all secure. That's just normal. I do that when I'm sitting there and not up here as well. But not to worry, not, not to worry. If you're just visiting or you haven't surrendered your life to Christ yet, I want to assure you not to, you're not to feel any pressure. There's not going to be an emotional appeal for anything at all here, no special offering. We are just working through this part of Christ's teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. You know, money is a topic, though, that does cause us this, this challenge. And, and the, the church reformer, Martin Luther, you know, hundreds of years ago, he said there are three conversions that are necessary for all of us. There's the necessity to have a conversion of the heart, the necessity to have a conversion of our heads or our minds, and then thirdly, we need to have a conversion of our purse. And all three are necessary. Well, in this first section, this first portion of this passage, long passage that we looked at, the text is, text is asking a question. Where is my heart regarding treasures? Regarding treasures. You see, everyone has treasures. The rich obviously have treasures, but so do the poor as well. A, tr a treasure is whatever we value, whatever we want to protect, whatever is, is significant to us. It may be of minimal monetary value. It might even be worthless to somebody else, but it's something that we cherish, something that we delight in. So it is something that we treasure. 
But what specifically are these treasures? What's Jesus really talking about here? Well, he's talking about exactly what we would think when we're talking about treasure. He's talking about money, about stuff, about possessions, about wealth. That's what he's talking about here. So when we look at verses 19 and 20, we actually find two treasuries that he identifies. Two treasuries. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. The first treasury is that treasury on earth. And then the passage continues. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. The second treasury is a treasury in heaven. So don't lay up treasures in, on or lay up treasures on don't lay up treasures on earth, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. So we got these two treasuries that he's talking about. And we choose where we're going to place those. We choose where we're going to place those. And in the text, Jesus tells us to make the correct choice. Now, in the time that Jesus was talking, people didn't always have money as in the form of cash or a 401k or IRAs. They, their wealth was often in their clothes and their uh, storehouses of food and grains that they might have. In fact, the very rich people would actually have gold, uh, gold uh, fibers sewn throughout their uh, cloaks and their, and their clothing to make a way of keeping their wealth and showing their wealth to others. And so, interestingly, when you are aware of that, realizing that, that their wealth was stored in their clothes or in their grains, you see why this reference here that moths could actually destroy their wealth. See, wealth for them, obviously, could go away at any point in time if the moths got at their clothing. And it might not be moths for us today, but it could be the stock market or it could be like my water pump pressure tank broke a week ago, and just like that, there was a few hundred dollars that was gone that I hadn't planned on. Our treasures can evaporate here on this earth and be gone. Well, Jesus also says in this passage, do not lay up for yourselves. So he's, he's not really instructing that, that he's condemning accumulation. He's just not even trying to eliminate any desire. He's trying to direct us or tell us where should we put our wealth? Where should we be storing it? And he tells us that in verse 21. In verse 21, it says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So he's pointing out here that our person's most cherished possessions and our desires are inseparable. Our treasures, those things we have here on earth, things like, you know, our billfold with cash in it and credit cards and so forth that we might have, these treasures that we might have, it is inseparable from my heart and it actually is a rudder for my heart. It directs or steers where my heart is. Randy Alcorn, author that's written a number of Christian books, he says it this way, that my heart always goes where I place God's money. My heart always goes where I place God's money. In other words, our heart and our billfold or our treasures are connected and we can't separate them. And we steer where it goes by ourselves. I mean, think of the truth of this. This isn't just some obscure spiritual truth. It's very, very true in all manners. If you invest in uh, the stock market, you, you know how your stocks are doing, and you happen to look at what those stocks are. You probably don't look on a very regular basis to see how my stock portfolio is doing. Now, why is that? 
Don't you love me? <laughs> well, of course you love me, but you want to know where your stocks are doing, where your investments are, where you've placed your money and your heart and your desires. Follow those. This is true with things like technology. You get yourself a brand new phone, and all of a sudden, you're, you know, as you're, as you're shopping for it, as you're getting ready to make that investment, you know all the details about it. You know what other people that are in your circle of friends have spent their money on, and you're noticing these things. If you're a golfer and you go out and you buy yourself a new graphite uh, driver, you know all about those things, and you know who has them, and you know how far you should be able to drive now. Me, I'm a, a cyclist, so I, I've got a carbon fiber bike, and I can tell about other people's bicycles because my heart is drawn to where I've spent money. And if we invest money in the kingdom of God, if we store our treasure in that heavenly treasury, our heart is drawn closer and closer to God. Well, in verses 22 and 23, we move on from two treasuries to two perspectives. Verse 22 says, The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. So we talked about treasuries and treasures and now eyes. Did we completely change topics from what we were talking about? Well, no, we have to unpack this a little bit to understand what he's talking about. You see, the, the word that's translated healthy, as in your eye is healthy, comes from a Greek word, haplos, haplos. And here in this passage, it's translated if your eye is healthy. In other places, the same Greek word is translated generous or generosity. In Romans 12, verse 8, the same Greek word is translated the one who contributes in generosity. So he hasn't changed topics. He's talking about, or the implication is that if our heart, represented by the eye, is healthy or generous, that our whole spiritual life will be flooded or illuminated with understanding. And then in verse 23, he says that if your eye is bad, or in some places other translations say if your eye is unhealthy, or if your eye is evil, it even uses this reference, this, this phrase that is common in, in some Jewish stories of having an evil eye and it means that you're grudging or stingy and if our eye is bad that spiritual understanding will not come in so if our eye or our heart is overly focused on money and stuff then we can be blinded and insensitive to the things of God so what he's really doing here what Jesus is doing he's warning us that we all are naturally nearsighted now, what do I mean nearsighted? Our vision is myopic. It's earthbound. We naturally look to the things that are right here in front of us that we face day in and day out. Now, let me tell you a, a story to illustrate this. Again, many of you know I've taught these biblical principles over the years in different, different settings. Teaching them and understanding them is one thing. Uh, applying them in your life is another. So a few years back, I was thinking about getting myself a new bicycle. And uh, to do that, I needed to sell my uh, old bicycle, my current bike, before I can do that. So I was talking to one of my good friends, and I arranged for him to borrow my bike uh, for a couple of weeks and take it on several rides to see if he might be interested in buying it. So it turned out that, that it didn't work out for Lauren to, uh, to buy my bicycle. So a couple weeks later, my friend, 
Lauren, he sends me an email with a picture of his new bike. It was beautiful, and it probably had to cost close to $10,000. I typed him an email back saying, Lauren, I am so happy for you. It was a total lie. <laughs> you see, my nearsighted vision had caused me to be jealous over what Lauren had got. Now, about two weeks after that, he sent me a second email with a picture of the used bike that he bought for a little under $1,000. He totally played me. Just wrong, totally wrong. So, so let me ask you, do you see spiritual things clearly, or is your vision of God and his, his, his view for your life clouded by nearsightedness that's brought on with an unhealthy preoccupation with things right in front of us? You know, our vision, our perspective needs to be corrected. We need a 2020 vision, a vision 2020. I've heard that before here, haven't you? We need a vision that's really balanced. It's balanced between we obviously have to keep our eye on things that need attending to here on the earth, but we also need to be looking towards having a heavenly vision and looking towards eternity with our handling of our finances as well. You know, again, as you know, though, just taking a little sideline on this 2020, uh, a side journey on this 2020 uh, vision reference, what, what has been happening here over the last couple of years is just amazing. We've uh, had a great response, as you've heard a few reports on, which has allowed us to uh, launch our city center with some, some wonderful, successful ministry going on, and that's been able to be launched debt-free. We've been able to launch our Shelby campus, and similarly, debt-free, and God is moving there at our new campus in Shelby. We are on track to have the mortgage retired by the end of the year here at Park Avenue and put us in a position through this campus as well to just do more ministry, which is just wonderful. And this last weekend, Pastor Dave explained to us how this opportunity has come up in Lexington and for us to be able to launch a campus there this, uh, later this year, and we were all invited to participate in this more portion of our Vision 2020 to launch a new, new campus. You know, and, and as we do that, that's just one tangible way of us becoming more heavenly-minded rather than earthly-minded. It takes a step of faith to do that, and we correct our vision to become 2020 rather than just nearsighted. Well, now we go from two treasuries and two perspectives to two masters. In verse 24, it said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Well, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, the word masters here comes from a Greek word, kurios. This means a slave master. This is not the same as what we might experience as a, an employee working for an employer. In that type of a situation, we can be an employee and we might have two employers. We might work two jobs or three jobs and satisfactorily complete all of those jobs. But in the case of a slave, you can only have one master, and that's what he's talking about. The, and the text begs the question, who's your master? Who is your master? Or in other words, what are you slave to? Are you slave to God, or are you slave to money? You know, the, the Greek word for money that's used here originally came from a, this Greek word mammon, which meant to entrust, or somebody's goods that were entrusted to another for keeping and, and, and use. 
the passage is asking whether Jesus occupies a central place in our life, whether he is, in fact, our master, and whether the stuff that he has entrusted to us, to our stewardship, is being used properly or it's obscuring our vision. We are all slaves to something or someone, each and every one of us. We are all slaves to something or someone. The question is, who or what are you a slave to? Who is your master? Well, you know, if we obsess and worry more about our home, our car, our bicycle, our golf clubs, that kind of answers the question for us, doesn't it? We then know who our master is. And the challenge is for all of us, each and every one of us. The wealthy can be tempted, as well as the poor not trusting God and what's going to happen and doubt his provision for them. Billy Graham once said, show me a person's checkbook and I will know the truth about him. Well, we've been looking at treasuries and treasures, and now in the next section, beginning in verse 25, this section actually begins with, therefore, do not be anxious. So since it begins with therefore, we know that he didn't just change topics, he's elaborating on the topic he's been building on. And he goes on and he says, in here he says, where is my heart regarding necessities? Regarding necessities. So Jesus has been, in this section, talks about eating, he talks about clothing, he talks about drinking, he talks about a place to sleep, the very basic necessities that all of us has, have. And, and his message in this section is, don't let your heart be overwhelmed. Don't be anxious, not even about necessities. And he recognizes our proclivity or our tendency to be anxious, to worry about things. So in this section, this second section of Scripture that we're looking at today, three times he repeats himself, therefore do not be anxious, therefore do not be anxious. Therefore, do not be anxious. He realizes that's going to be our tendency, and he's telling us, don't go there. It's the opposite of being content, which is where believers should be. We should be content in our relationship with him. And yet in our fallen state, our individual sinfulness, worry and anxiety, comes in and tempt, attempts to become a constant companion for us. Some of us worry more, some of us less, but in reality, we all worry about things at times. There are all times that we do. He repeats it three times again. Worry tries to sneak in on all of us when we're least expecting it. Let me tell you a story about John Wesley and then relate it to a personal situation of mine. Some of you know John Wesley. He was the founder of the Methodist Church, so he was uh, from England and came here to the United States and was a uh, circuit rider going throughout uh, the United States, throughout this, the colonies uh, some 250 years ago or so. And this story says, one day when John Wesley was away from home, someone came running up to him saying, your house is burned down, your house is burned down. To which Wesley replied, no, it hasn't because I don't own a house. The one I have been living in belongs to the Lord. And if it, if it has burned down, that's one less responsibility for me to worry about. So th this account that I was familiar with came to mind as I was uh, reflecting on a situation that occurred last summer for me. And uh, uh, I was wishing that that was my response in this situation. You see, Madeline and I, my wife, we were on vacation. 
and uh, we're driving through this parking lot, and as we're driving through, this lady suddenly backs out of her parking spot and crunches my fender. Now, my response was not, well, that fender is one less thing for me to worry about. Madeline later commented that in all of our time together, she has never seen me get so angry so quickly. I wish that wasn't the case, but that's just where I was at at that time. It's like, oh, you know. I would say, no, I won't say that it was a woman driver, but hey. <laughs> okay, half of you hate me now, I don't know. Oh, yeah, I'm talking about me. I was not pleased that my fender got crunched because my affections were attached to my car too much. Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you uh, will wear, your body. So is there a cure? Is there a cure for this anxiety? What do we do? Do we just like grit our teeth, squint our eyes, and say three times, I'm not anxious, I'm not anxious, I'm not anxious? Well, I don't think that will work. I really don't think that would work. They might, you know, uh, common solutions might be that we uh, uh, get some medication. If it's a, if it's a long-standing thing, we might go to counseling to get help with those, help, and, and, and that might provide relief for some, for some period of time. But Jesus offers another approach when we get to the end of this passage in verse 33, which we read together. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. Seek first, or in other words, don't worry, be happy. Well, not actually don't worry, be happy. Don't worry, be proactive, okay? Don't worry, be proactive. In other words, as we are proactive in seeking first, we can address this tendency for anxiety and worry. We need to recognize that we, we be, when, we, when we begin to feel anxious about things, to sense that and to proactively redirect it. We'll all feel that anxiety coming at times, but then what do we do with it? We need to develop a habit or a conditional reflex, turning to God when we feel anxious. And what do I mean by a, a con conditional or conditioned reflex? Well, you know, a conditioned reflex is something we learn over time. It's like when you see red lights, you're supposed to start braking the car, or when you hear the... Uh, uh, the notes to the national anthem starts, you, you, you stand up. It's not instinct, it's a conditioned, learned practice. So we need to learn some uh, conditioned, habitual reactions when we sense uh, anxiety come on and be proactive about that. So how are we proactive? Well, let me give us just three types of areas we can be proactive that can help us with this. The first two are to be proactive with respect to Bible intake and prayer. With respect to Bible intake, that we read, that we memorize, that we meditate on scripture on a regular basis. We're proactive about that, that we develop our own list of scriptures that help us when we feel anxious about whatever it might be, if it's finances or uh, some other issue, that we know what those uh, verses are that can give us comfort. And we read those, we meditate on those, and we pray over those. You know, as Christ followers, we need to continue to learn God's word, practice God's word as well, so that that is in our heart. You know, in the very text that we, that we read earlier, in this very text, Jesus says, look at the birds of the air, look, consider the lilies of the field. You know, as we, I provide for those. Jesus is saying, you can trust me to provide your daily needs. 
these things that are not near, these birds and so forth, that are not nearly as important as you. I provide from them so you can trust me. So those might be verses that we go to when we feel a sense of need in our provision. It might be another verse like, like Philippians 4.19 that many of us are familiar with, that my God will supply all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He will provide our needs. Let me tell you just one other story about myself. Again, as many of you know, about two in, back in 2008, 2009, about uh, 10 years ago, we experienced a global recession. The stock market was down 30, 35, 40% in different areas. So in our home, Madeline allows me to oversee the investments. So that's one of my, my, my tasks. So I asked her if she might want to uh, join in on my anxiety. And she, she responded by asking, well, how much of those funds are we relying on to meet our daily needs now? The answer is none. Okay. Isn't God meeting all of our needs now? The answer was yes. So why are you worrying? Good question, honey. And as just as a sidebar, husbands, you might need to listen to your wife. Okay. I needed to do at that time. You know, in this area, we had a uh, uh, we have a community group uh, uh, that's been going on. It's it's actually repeated two or three times, doing a study through a Max Lucado book, Anxious for Nothing, and that book is a, is a great book from what I read of it, the portion I read, and it starts with uh, uh, keying off of Philippians uh, chapter four verses six through eight. That passage begins with, "Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication." Uh, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Notice it says, by prayer. By prayer, when you're anxious, you'll realize the peace of God. And then in verse 8, it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there are any excellency, if there are any things of, uh, worthy of praise, think about these things. So think about those promises of God that are lovely, pure, commendable, excellent that you read from Scripture and get peace from those things. Well, a third proactive step to combat anxiety that we might look at would be to be proactive in the area of generosity. Since this entire section has been talking about money and how we deal with money and how we deal with money to address our hearts, Generosity is one of the ways we can do that. And generosity can be an antidote to anxiety. So real quickly, I want to take us through seven P's of generosity that can be an anxiety, that can be a cure for anxiety, an antidote. The first ones come from 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2. I'll read it, then I'll explain these three P's that are here. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so there will be no collecting when I come. So the first P is that our giving should be periodic. In the passage we see on the first day of every week, it should be whenever we get paid, if we get paid weekly, if we get paid biweekly, if we get paid monthly, however we get paid, our giving should be on a regular periodic basis, coincident or in line with what that payment is as God prospers us 
is where it speaks in another. As God prospers you, that's when you should give. Second P is that it should be personal. You can see in the passage it says, each of you. This, this idea of generosity is not for some and, 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 and others can just avoid it. Throughout Scripture, over 2,300 verses, speaking of possessions, money, and things, we are instructed that all of us should be generous, that it should be personal for each and every one of us. If you are not being generous yourself, you can't rely on somebody else to do that. You need to do that as well. And I can't tell you how that fits into the entire picture, but I do believe that if we are not generous, each of us, that we are more likely to have anxiety in this area of our life. Thirdly is that we are to be proportionate. Our giving or our generosity is to be proportionate. It says here, as he may prosper, as he may prosper. So our giving should be proportionate or a percentage as to what we earn. If we, uh, our, our paychecks are $500 a week, then we should give proportionate to that. If our paychecks are $1,000 a week, we should give proportionate to that. Well, the next P's come from Proverbs 3, verse 9. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. So from that, we can see that our giving should be a priority. First fruits. He was speaking to, the scripture was speaking to an agricultural society, and you gave from the first part as well. You know, it is really interesting that if you align your giving to give at the tail end over what is left over, you will always not be able to give. Because when we rely on what's at the very end, we're always short. None of us have enough money to do everything that we can think of and imagine. But when you put your giving first, when you give it first priority, something else will eventually not get done. So we, our giving should be a priority. Next, we get two more Ps from 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of us must give as he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So the fifth P is that our giving should be progressive. It should grow over time, that, that we might start with a sparing type of a gift, but that God really wants us to give bountifully so that we can actually expect he's going to bless us even more so as well. And then the sixth is that it should be premeditated, that it should be as we have decided. We shouldn't give on the spur of the moment spontaneously or emotionally and just like that, but we should decide in advance and budget and plan to be generous. We should have premeditated giving. And then the seventh P comes from Philippians 4, verse 18. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Aphroditus the gifts you sent me, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. We want our giving to be pleasing to God. You know, our, our giving to God might have been pleasing once upon a time, but maybe we need to reexamine that and see whether God has blessed us in a different way, and maybe we should even grow in our giving and, and see that it would be pleasing to him as well. And, and quite frankly, I don't believe for any of us that how much we give can become a settled issue where there is no tension. I believe that there needs to be and there will always be some tension in that, and we should be striving to say and praying for God's guidance 
that our gifts would be pleasing to him. Well, so far in this text, up to the very last verse, Jesus has explained that we can move our hearts or our affections closer to God, for where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. We can correct our spiritual vision. We can choose who our master is, and we can seek first or be proactive and feel relief from anxiety. But our text concludes with verse 34. It says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I kind of pictured this billboard. God put this billboard up, and it says, I've got tomorrow covered too, God. You know, you, I'm telling you how to take care of today by spending time in the Word, memorizing it, meditating on it, met, know I'm going to take care of you, praying about it, be generous, and I've got tomorrow taken care of too. So don't you just worry about that either. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father God, thank you so much for this rich passage. Again, your words are fairly clear to understand, not so much for us to uh, apply in our hearts. So I just pray that uh, you will, in fact, uh, lead and guide each one of us to whatever steps we should take to apply your teaching, your instructions into our lives, into our hearts. We're thankful that you love us, your followers, so much that you provide your word of direction to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.